My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Well, welcome to the post-credit pod. We're just going to jump right into it. Normally, we do a little banter. We talk about the hot news of the day. But right now, Eric and I are itching to talk about the season two premiere of The Mandalorian. We've been waiting for it for a year. We're going to remix that and just do a rap track to promote post-credit pod. But yeah, I mean, normally we like to discuss what's going on and everything, but one, there's nothing going on, and two, the most important thing in pop culture right now is The Mandalorian season two premiere. Eric, I mean, we'll give the the folks a brief overview of the plot because it's so simplistic to start, and I actually don't mean that in a bad way like I normally do. Longest story short. Let's let's just set like a baseline for where our hype lied going in um following our our mando season one recap review yeah just to give you know the crowd like an idea of where we both stood going into this um you 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 go first right so as i've said this is one of my favorite star wars things so i have the highest of hopes for it so despite you trying to get up at 3 a.m. to watch it. I did not do that. But and this failing. Was, tr- trying and failing, right? What's the quote? There is no try. There's just fail. Do not, do not try. <laughs> so, um, so this was a, a big day for, not a big day for me, but like I was hyped for this. Especially, it, was mitzvah, it was a big day for you. you became especially in a year where we haven't gotten a lot of, you know, big budget content. Um, this is, not just a Star Wars thing and not just an hour long Star Wars thing, but it is a Star Wars thing that is pretty much well liked by everyone, which is a rare thing when it comes to this franchise. So heading into today, and the reason I want to set this up is because I want to make clear how I felt about this one. Dude, our uh, podcast has narrative context, just like an episode of TV, and you're establishing that. You're a good showrunner. Thank you, thank you. So, yeah, so my bottom line is that in terms of going into a Star Wars thing, this was as hyped as one could be. I love this show. Uh, and then we will get into why this perhaps did not live up to my hype. Oh, wow. It's so funny because I think we're going to be on opposite ends of the spectrum because, as you know... I was not a huge fan of The Mandalorian Season 1. I've said a million times I liked it. I enjoyed it. But if it wasn't Star Wars, I don't know if I would have loved it as much. Upon our Season 1 recap and review, which everyone should go check out in our multiple podcasts from the last couple of weeks, I really realized that like three and a half episodes of The Mandalorian Season 1 are crap, and the others are really good. And having a better understanding of what the show is, I enjoyed it more the second time through with a more lenient, critical eye. So my hype levels were, were pretty high for the season two premiere, which dropped earlier this morning, East Coast time. And I very much enjoyed it. And we will get into the whys, why nots in a second. <laughs> so now let's do it. All right. So essentially, basically the Mandalorian, Din Jaren heads to Tatooine to find another Mandalorian that could potentially help him navigate his way to find baby Yoda's kind. 
And upon his journey at Tatooine, he basically gets roped into helping a small town marshal played by the always great Timothy Oliphant, who people best know from Justified and Deadwood. And he has to help Timothy Oliphant defend his village against what is essentially the Tatooine take on a giant sandworm from Dune. That's the whole plot. That is literally everything. Now, is that sandworm something that we've seen before, or is that an entirely new Star Wars thing? So I I don't think we've necessarily seen that before. Uh, Obviously, in the original trilogy, we saw when they flew into the uh, crater on that asteroid, and they had actually flown into like the mouth of a space worm. That was a whole crazy thing that I love, but I don't necessarily think those are the same two species, because one is literally existing on an asteroid, and then in the vacuum of space, and one is existing underground on Tatooine. Gotcha. So I assume, you know, they're not the same, even though they're kind of similar. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. This is where, like, common fan and, like, big fan, there's a big gap. Yeah, and even then, like, as, I can always explain it as best as I can, but, like, I, you know, I'm sure someone out there... Junk facts, baby. ...is like, oh, that you didn't know the name of the space worm and his species? And I'm like, no, I didn't know the fucking name, guy. Come on. So I'm interested because... A lot of the times we have been aligned, and when we aren't, it's always one that I would not expect to us to be far apart. So I want to hear kind of some of your likes, dislikes before I get into mine, so we can kind of piece together where our separation began. So the first half of it is what I liked most, right? The first scene oh, yeah. is... By the way, spoiler warning. Uh, well, of course. Anyway, uh, was... So the first scene is where he... Uh, which was one of the main scenes in the trailer when he goes to that like boxing fight and talks to a one-eyed character who I think is voiced by John Favreau. Um, wow, I didn't put that one together. Good call. I, I believe. I believe. And it's a good scene. And But just like the first season, it the first thing it's doing is letting you know how much of a badass this dude is. It's pretty much the same exact scene, right? Except the first time he was doing his old job and now he's doing his new job. So I loved that that they sort of kicked it off in the same way. But now he's like leveled up, right? With the jet pack and like the armor. He's like a superhero now with, you know, the flying bird things that come out of his wrist. Like he is a serious, serious problem these days. Uh, so I just and think- I cannot letting- believe how many people continue not to realize who they're fucking with. And especially somebody who is trying to purchase the steel, Right. The one-eyed goblin is trying to buy his steel. Actually, sorry, not buy it, take it. Poor choice, <laughs> Mr. One-eyed Goblin. Poor for him choice. to for him to not know that the fucking that your guns aren't gonna work against that is sort of absurd to me. But it doesn't matter. Great scene, cute little moment where Baby Yoda he sees Mando going to arm his uh, flying bird things, and he you know shuts his shield. So. What is promising about this is that a lot of that stuff made up most of the main trailer, which means they've got a lot of shit still in bag. Uh, So you always love to see that. And then in terms of Cobb Vanth, who I think that's Cobb Vanth, right? Did he say that that, that's his name? I'm not good with the names. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Timothy Oliphant? Yeah. (laughs) I know that name. That standoff scene where he first shows up, I think is the high point of this one. I think that Timothy Oliphant is in like an alternate world. He has like a Brad Pitt-esque career. 
I think he's sort of that good and has those sort of looks. Uh, and if you look at, and if you look at how consistent he's been for the last 20 years or so between Deadwood and Justified and, you know, his films and such, and he's on that guy in Scream too. <laughs> That's a hilarious credit. The big porn guy in The Girl Next Door. Huge yeah. porn guy. Um, Multiple cameos in Sex in the City as different characters, which I always thought was funny. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. That is funny. Completely that is different funny. characters, like three seasons apart. <laughs> On purpose? Was it a bit? or? Yeah, no, no. It was just like, you know, they're like, hey, let's just bring that actor back. <laughs> no one's going to remember that like one episode he was in a couple seasons ago. <gasps> That's mad funny. All right. So when he showed up, pretty much first thing, I was like, oh, hell yeah. And then they have a good old Western duel, which oh, yeah. as we like like to point out, when this show really leans into its Western roots is when it's at its best. And it's just, a, and there's a great line here too. Uh, Cobb Vance says, when, you know, they're pretty much going to draw their guns, Cobb Vance says, we're going to do this in front of the kid. And then Mando, who I felt is generally had more swag these days, like he was talking more. He was more of like a leader, which I'll get into later, but he goes, He's seen worse, doesn't miss a beat. So, like, his confidence right now in him and his homie, because he knows that if shit goes wrong, Baby Yoda not only could help, but no one expects it. So now he goes into fights, A, knowing his, like, armor can't be pierced, and B, that he's got this magic baby that could crush your windpipe if he wants to, and you'll never see it coming. So I think that overall, LeBron this is, walking into the finals in terms of confidence level. Yeah, like like on the Heat, Bron, like at the prime of his powers. Actually, perhaps even twenty sixteen Cavs, just ready to dominate. Um, so that was probably my favorite scene in the whole show. The whole show? Oh, you mean this episode or the whole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Mister, Mister, I love the standoff in in season one finale. No, no, no. <laughs> come on now yes. kid I, I love how it opened now you know me i have consistently trashed mando's challenge of the week episodic format which is I, what this was this is exactly what this was but i think this one is done so much better and i have a few reasons for that and, and a few reasons why i don't want to see this necessarily every episode like we've talked about for season one but in this instance, I was like, damn, they pulled it off. And number one is I loved the mini flashback in the middle of the episode from Timothy Oliphant's perspective. I, and I did for multiple reasons. Uh, flashbacks and live action Star Wars were not a thing before the sequel trilogy. So I just think it's a really cool to see Star Wars start using a rarely used trope that is really effective. I think it provides necessary in-episode exposition about like the direct plot at hand it provided a really cool glimpse into a time period of Star Wars lore that fans aren't overly familiar with. Uh, seeing kind of culturally and literally the reaction to the destruction of the second Death Star, the fall of the Galactic Empire, and kind of cluing us in to how quickly the chaos and lawlessness swept into the galaxy and Tatooine specifically. I thought that was a really cool bit of world building that I want to return to in the future because we don't really have major projects set in that unstructured time period so it was great seeing that and biggest spoiler alert of the episode uh so i did take notes on that bit that you're saying the backstory and i like it if he's gonna be joining us going forward i wrote that down if they spent that time showing us and not just 
telling us, which I guess you're supposed to do, but in this case where he's only on screen for so long, like plays right into our biggest complaint about season one. I don't want it to be adventure of the week. So if I'm taking each week to meet a new character and learn their backstory to just leave them and then not see them again for until the end of the season, probably that's going to bother me. I, I agree, but I think, and we'll talk about a little bit about this more when we go into our predictions. I, I think he's essentially going to be a Cara Dune-esque character and that he will pop up in a minimum of one more episode this season. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. So I, I really like that. And then biggest spoiler alert, it sets up, his flashback sets up the return of Boba Fett, which is 40 years in the making. And then we actually do, spoiler, 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 get a glimpse of Boba Fett at the end of the episode. So on... In addition to that, I also think the sandworm battle, which we'll talk about more in a second as well, is just so effing cool in terms of action moments. So having a great battle that I actually thought was better than like storming the village, episode four of season one, and having a major reveal that plays into 40 years of fan theories and something that's going to play an integral role in the season moving forward, I thought that balanced out the episodic nature and essentially having Timothy Oliphant be the crux of that episodic nature, he is probably the best side actor that they have brought in throughout the whole course of the show. So Incredible. Those, I love this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I love him. So all those elements mixed together for me to be like, this was one instance in which a standalone story worked for me because there was greater Star Wars designs at play. You know, Boba Fett coming back is, is massive and helps mask some of this. Well, he was here to find a Mandalorian and essentially get sucked into a side quest. First, I just want to point out that during the Cobb Band flashback, there's a very cool tidbit how they're all in a bar in Tatooine watching the Death Star blow up yeah, as if it were like a sports game at, at a bar. This world building of their lives and how they, it's like us watching the presidential debates. You know, th this is how people would react and, and would consume what's going on. I think that's so cool. I want to see more of that regular everyday Star Wars life. Yeah. So do we want to hop into the Boba Fett now or just keep going through the plot and then talk about that at the end? Well, I think we'll, we'll circle back to Boba Fett. The people know we've now mentioned Devil. Okay. Guys, don't worry. We're coming back. Okay. That basically segues into Mando, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, whose name I'll probably never say once on this show. I'll probably just keep referring to him as Timothy Oliphant, and a few of the villagers teaming up with the Tusken Raiders to take down this sandworm, which has been killing animals, uh, uh, destroying supplies and towns, and basically eating people as well. This is like a massive sandworm. He looks on the scale of the Dune sandworm that we got in this new trailer. So I think this battle, there is something about jetpacks that is just elementally cool. So when they start flying up into the air, one guy's in Boba Fett's classic armor, one guy's the Mando who we've come to know and love, and they're raining down blaster fire from like a, a heightened position like that. It, it's just so cool. And a battle that I really, really enjoyed that I thought was really done well. And to your point earlier in this pod, blockbuster budget entertainment, which we have not seen a lot of this year because of the pandemic. So to see all that money put on the screen, I just thought this was a, a pretty exciting action moment. So in terms of that, and I did write, I, it's, it's long. I felt it was sort of drawn out. But the problem with me is, despite the fact that it was extremely impressive CGI, especially for a show, 
despite the fact that it was a lot of fun, it's hollow dramatically. You like, you know that everybody you care about is going to get out of that scene just fine. And I understand that that's an inherent part of TV shows, you know, except for Thrones where they could chop a dude's head off any day, but I need something at stake for this show to have that sort of, and that's why I love that bar scene, right? Cause that's where it, something could have really gone wrong. Someone could have died. He almost died. So while I enjoy it and it's fun, I would have rather episode picked up where it left off in season one and had like Moff Gideon be on his tail or something and then given us this later. Now, the fact that they're giving us this now makes me wonder how much Boba Fett's storyline is going to play into this season and how much they're going to lean on that. So that's interesting. But in terms of the worm scene, yeah, it was cool. Uh, it, it was fun. But I thought that the stakes were just too low to really thoroughly enjoy it in the ways that I have felt about this show in the past. I know what you mean about the stakes, and I think overall I agree with you, but I don't necessarily need that in a season premiere in which they are trying to kind of expand the scope a little bit, introduce a few new characters. I, I know no matter what show we're watching that the season premiere is probably not going to be where a main character is killed off or something of that nature. I think opening with Moff Gideon on his tail definitely would have been cool, but then you're starting at a 10. So where do you go from there? It's, it's really kind of hard to match that intensity. It's like when they did Days of Future Past before doing X-Men Apocalypse. It is only, you can only go down from- They have said, John Favreau has cited Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones' scope in terms of how they want this show to be. So it doesn't surprise me that, yeah, they're trying to flesh out other storylines. And I suppose for the longevity of the show, that is a good thing. Yeah, listen, if, if next week, basically, I didn't like that Mando's goal was to find another Mandalorian to help him guide to baby Yoda's people. And instead, what he found was yet another relatively standalone, self-contained challenge of the, the week. We were both hoping for more serialized elements. I didn't like that, but I thought they did that well within the constructs of that setup. Now, if the same thing happens again next week, I will be mad and I will retroactively dislike the premiere episode more. (laughs) But I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. Now, and just a quick point on uh, their team up with the Tusken Raiders. And I brought up this point at, at the start. They're sort of starting to flesh out how like Mando is is very well-traveled and has a lot of knowledge of he could speak different languages and he knows cultures and he knows how to like calm down their like weird dogs. Like, uh, like it's ridiculous that he speaks their language and the guy who lives on the planet with them is like, what are they saying? But I think they're just trying to, but, but I no, think no, that no, that's, I it. it's just funny. It's like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. No, I know. You're not a very good marshal. Let's step it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but I just think so sort of leaning into, cause if you think about like what he was doing before this, he was traveling planet to planet, running into all types of folks. So using his world knowledge as sort of a way to build him up as a leader, like the fact that someone who really in season one didn't talk much is now brokering peace between 
Cobb Vanth and the townspeople and the Raiders is a huge character development for him. And I also think that that ties into what I said at the top, where now he's more confident these days as well. So the direction that they took Mando himself in this show, I liked a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's more than just a killing machine. He's got a brain. He's got a soul, as exactly. we've seen. You know, yep, empathy yep. is definitely what's going on. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I like that they're basically peeling back a few of the layers to Mando, the person, not just Mando, the bounty hunter. And I think we'll probably continue to see that. These surprising skills or, or this knowledge, maybe hopefully some information about his travels in the past and, and how he's learned certain things. I would love to get a little bit more of that. You know, some around the campfire late at night conversation. Yeah, exactly. All right, should we jump into the, uh, the quick hitters? Sure. So a few of these I didn't take notes for because a few of them necessarily weren't applicable. Okay. But uh, all right, so I, I think that you did though based on the Google Doc. This was a, a high action episode. So for the first quick hitting kind of topic, the kill count, how many bodies does he rack up? How many bodies does he catch about a week ago? So I counted 10 and they're all in the first scene. It's all of like the boxing goons. Uh, he may have knocked some out, but he definitely kills four of them with the birds. Uh, and then he fights like three, like three or four more of them hand to hand. And then he leaves the one-eyed guy hanging to get eaten by these sort of red-eyed good move creatures, which was very cool because they showed up once he turned off the light, uh, which is also weird considering that was like a city. So the fact that these things are just kind of like out there, they, they showed a lot of very cool creatures in this one between the dogs and the sandworm and those red-eyed things. And were those womp rats? I think those might have been womp rats, yeah. Yeah, so there were a ton of those cool ones. So I have 10 people and then the worm. So the question is, are we counting the sandworm as one or multiple? Because as Gimli and Legolas argue in The Lord of the Rings after Legolas takes down the troll, Gimli says it still only counts as one. So, like, are we going by the Lord of the Rings rules? Or are we saying this guy gets extra credit for taking down the sandworm? I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but what else is new? I haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, the three Lord of the Rings from start to finish, like all three of them, because... What? Eric, how can we I've be... Tried. I've tried. I've tried. It's like ketchup, dog. I've tried. I don't like ketchup either, but like... Come on, Lord of the Rings is like a ripe tomato, baby. I think I think that, that one day we'll do a, a pot on it, and then oh. I'll, I'll be forced. Yes, we have to. I think he gets bonus points for taking down the sandworm single-handedly in his Jonah the Whale style, intentionally getting get, getting swallowed up. Yeah, like that was sweet. Like that, was, yeah. But that, but that's what I wrote down. Like basically superhero because he flies out he's glowing blue like thor and i'm like holy shit like you cannot kill this guy anymore <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point to monitor moving forward is he too overpowered in yes. season two? i i bet not though because of how realistic the sorry fight sorry is. not yes not yes is it too much yes i could guarantee you that they'll find a way to bring him down at yeah, some point yeah because he gets his ass beat in season one, which I like. Like, you can still be a badass killer and, like, you know, the iconic, famous Mandalorian that every character he meets is like, ooh, Mandalorian. Right. But he still, like, takes a beating, like a champ. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure once he does face off with Moff Gideon at some point, yeah. he will get his ass beat. 
So our you can stay and get your ass beat, or you can stay and get your ass beat. You know what that's from? Jersey Shore, quoted by JWoww. You like that one? (laughs) I've never watched a single second of Jersey Shore, and I'm proud of that fact. Jersey. (laughs) Now, the second one was the trip to the Jedi Temple for discussion of any references to Jedi Force, lightsabers, all that. Did you catch it? Yeah, I didn't. Whoa, okay. Whoa! I don't think I did. All right, when he lands back on Tatooine, Amy Sedaris' character, when he shows her that Baby Yoda is all right, she says, thank the Force! Oh, okay. I didn't know we were going that, like, granular with it. You're right. What are you talking about? I thought we meant, like, you know, not just, like, clearly that must be, like, a phrase in the Star Wars He doesn't know what the Force is. That is why I built this one in. Him running into Jedi have been heavily teased in the trailers, so... I'm just sort of trying to set a baseline for how they're building out the force, which is going to become a bigger and bigger part of this show. So the fact that this scrapyard lady knows what the force is to the extent that it's a saying of hers, but Mando didn't even know what it was called the last time we checked, struck me as odd. I wonder if he's heard that colloquialism before and just never like bothered to be like, hey, what's that? Yeah, but I did just point out how they sort of leaned on how well traveled he is. So for him, I don't know. It's just a, it, it is a definite plot hole that they have. For him to be clueless about the forest, but for those around him to know what it is, despite his job being to travel around the galaxy, I find that strange. And since this does take place about 30 years after Return of the Jedi, even though I believe the Galactic Empire waged like this propaganda campaign to erase all mention of the Jedi from the universe. Like, I just feel like he would know since he he's clearly older than thirty, the Mandalorian. You know, he's he's probably like a you know cl- approaching forty type of badass. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry. Right, so that was a good one. Yeah. How about the uh, the Baby Yoda ah moment? Because this because we know. We're going to get a fresh set of gifts and memes from this. <laughs> I'm like so excited for that complimentary content. Um, so this one was when I ha- when I don't know what you have, but when he's on the back of the speed bike and the wind is blowing his ears and yeah. I just wrote down baby Yoda plus wind equals good. You just can't go wrong with that. That's perfect. He's so cute. And this is to, to be clear. This is the awe and or holy shit moment of the week. So he didn't have Correct. any holy shits, but he did have a few awes. My baby Yoda awe moment is when Timothy Oliphant and Din Djarin are facing off before. You mentioned it. We're going to do this in front of the kid? He's seen worse. And Yoda has a quick look on his face like, I have seen worse. You're absolutely right. <laughs> oh, Dad. I didn't catch that. I've got to look. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Okay. Like, so like so he's learning. It, it, yeah, it seems like he's like, totally. <laughs> and then for my for my holy shit moment of the week, it wasn't Baby Yoda, but we just talked about it and I want to talk about it again. The Jonah and the whale moment. I just thought it was cool and, and fun and a great way to take out that beast. And like you said, it's kind of like his, his superhero moment. Like everybody else in the show is starting to realize how much of a badass he is. And I hope that reputation keeps growing because that's cool. The legend of the Mandalorian. The reputation of the two of them together. Yeah. Their legend is going to grow side by side. Now this kind of segues, I mean, this, this ties into the next one, which is the use the force award, the best action or fight moment of the episode it's a Western samurai story set in space. So like we obviously want to see people just get jacked up in this show. That is one of the kind of 
baser loves of the Mandalorian. And like I said before, I just think them fighting with jetpacks, a sandworm on the mountain cliff on Tatooine, just the whole situation was kind of explosive and amazing to me. I will say, though, bold move of him when he does jetpack off to go fight the worm. He leaves Yoda. Yeah, he is such a bad dad. And I, and I mean that in the sense that dating back to season one, this is a complaint I've had forever and that me and my brother talk about all the time. He always leaves him unattended. He always leaves him alone and or despite knowing people were hunting for him, always just like lets him walk next to him, not closed in his pod. Like, like, dude, have some tact. You don't have any. Yeah, yeah. But he's still the man. One thing I, I thought was pretty funny, do you know Mr. Sunday Movies? Yes. Yeah, so you, for anyone who doesn't know, really popular YouTuber, great content, highly check, uh, recommend you check out his channel. All I see on Twitter this morning, is it, no context, the full tweet is, Tatooine is a dog shit planet for idiots. <laughs> like, you know what? He's not wrong. That is facts. Like, nothing on Tatooine is good at all. Yeah, it seems awful there, for real. It's like the uh, West Virginia of the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah, now I'm starting to get why Anakin was so pissed off. I hate sand. Of course, <laughs> and it gets everywhere. Oh, got it. Now, how about the Wikipedia? Anything deep cut nerdy we might think casual fans need further explanation on? This might be too obvious, but for anyone who isn't as up to date on the original trilogy, the Sarlacc Pit is what Jabba the Hutt would feed his enemies into. It was basically this giant, disgusting, like man eating plant slash animal that lived in like a, like a dune crater in the desert on Tatooine. And during Luke's a heroic escape from Jabba's clutches, basically Boba Fett falls into the Sarlacc pit, which is said to digest you for a thousand years. Now, ever since Return of the Jedi, there's been endless expanded universe stories about how he climbed out and saved himself. So that's why the fan theory around Boba Fett and the entire kind of mythology around him is so exciting. It's so exciting to see pay off finally in the premiere episode today. Because uh, this one wasn't too, like, deep-cut nerdy. Yeah. And then this is the way we think things are going to go. Excellently named by Eric Italiano, folks. This, this guy knows how to create some categories. Eric, this is a good time to talk about Boba Fett and really bring this full circle. Now, we introduce him. We see him finally at the end of the episode. He's watching Mando ride off into the sunset because Mando also has his armor, which he probably wants back. The fact that he can fit into it, you know, six years later still, like he's clearly keeping in shape. Good for him. I think it could go one of two ways. I could see uh, Boba Fett being involved immediately at the start of the next episode and henceforth like through the season. Or I could see the Mandalorian basically ignoring that for the next two to three episodes and then until we kind of forget and then he pops back up at, at a really important moment those are like i think it's gonna be one of those two no in between in terms of how they handle the return of boba fett i mean look i think there's a very real chance that they spend an entire episode on how he survived that pit and where he's been so. since i mean right now i'm hoping that's not next week my this is the way we think things are going to go is that i hope next week they dive in to Moff Gideon because the fact is the last time we saw him he crash landed about a mile away from Cara Dune and Grief Karga 
and Mando. And I get that the good guys won that fight, but you're telling me he just packed up and left and was like, all right, fair play. I'll catch the next time. You know, I want to know what happened once he crash landed, once he bust out the dark saber, where he went, why he's not on his tail. As we've long talked about, this show is at its strongest when it's delving into that main plot line. Baby Yoda, where he's from, where he's going, and the people who are trying to find him. So I would like them to dive back into that as soon as possible. Yeah, the overarching big bad, which serves as a continued story from episode to episode that carry over that carries over. That's important. And we've talked about that on previous pods. I agree that we need to see Moff Gideon in episode two. It's just crucial for the structural integrity of a season long arc. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then we really start to get into venture of the week and, The more they do that, the less we're both going to enjoy this show. Yeah, as we've seen from last (laughs) season, I don't think their episode of the weeks work out most of the time. This was a pleasant surprise. You didn't agree, which just continues to feed into the fact that- Not to say that I didn't enjoy it, just that I, like I just said, I wish that they had sort of dove right back into the main storyline first and then done this. I, but I would also love to see what you said, like episode three, episode four, episode five, a full-on flashback episode for Boba Fett in which we learn how he escaped and what the hell he was up to. I think that as a kind of self-contained episode, which again, we have said a million times we don't like, but that is one that is earned after 40 years. That's of the strongest way that they could do it, right? If they want to slow down the main plot, give us a one-off about Boba, give us a one-off about Moff Gideon. That eats up two of them right there. And yet we don't feel like we're sort of being dicked around with the quest of the week with Mando and they could advance who are main characters in the show. So I think it would be a win-win. So let's hope for that. I agree. Now my, my second prediction, basically Mando and Timothy Oliphant said, like, I hope our paths cross again before they, uh, they left each other. I would bet money that Timothy Oliphant shows up again. Of course. For sure. Yeah. Now, how helpful he is now that he's given up the armor is yet to be seen. I I still assume that he's something of a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And then my third, this is the way things will go. Ahsoka Tano was rumored to appear in the premiere. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. Yeah. Some people were talking basically yesterday before the episode dropped, like, hey, this, this is what I'm hearing. You know, Rosera, Rosaria Dawson, like, right off the bat. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Um, as we talked about with Skylar Schuler, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of the Disney Insider, everybody go check out that pod. The, also, the, the rumors surrounding Rosaria Dawson's Ahsoka Tano is that she's only in one episode this season. Now, in terms of sooner or later, when do you think we will see her and what do you think her role might be? Well, I think it's it's going to be involved with the main storyline, right? Because she's a, a Jedi. So he's not just going to like bump Well, she in- left the Jedi temple. So she's not technically a Jedi, even though she's a Force-sensitive, lightsaber-wielding badass. Okay. So where is she then? Do we know? Um, so in Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, she, which takes place long before this. She is basically serving as like this secret agent of like the rebellion. 
and uh, doing some really cool stuff. Now, spoiler alert for Star Wars Rebels, that show ends with the main character Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn basically ends with them being carried off into an unknown location in space. And the feeling that they leave us with is that whatever the next animated series is going to be is about them going after them to try to find them. Now, Ahsoka Tano may be up to that. She may be trying to find her friends, long story short. Now, how that intersects with Mando, I'm not entirely sure. But it would make sense that she would be opposing Moff Gideon, who is a space dickhead, and she doesn't like space dickheads. Um, my point is that I don't think that we're going to see her in a one-off tale like this. I think if we do see her, it's going to be something that involves the main plot. I think she, since... She's a big name. That's probably one that they'll save for towards the end. Yeah. Uh, who knows if they're once again pinned down, she busts out, saber, takes some names. I mean, that would just be like, that would be a, like, they want to introduce her, right? Her, th- she's a big deal. And this is the first time that she's been in live action. So you got to think that when she does pop up, it's going to be an epic moment. I wouldn't mind if her introduction was a full-on action scene before she even says a word of dialogue. I think exactly. that's really, really cool. Because casual fans may not know her, even though she's become one of the most beloved Star Wars characters. And she's so much more than just a, a physical, you know, ass-kicking presence. She is this sweet, unbelievably, like, kind-hearted, intelligent character. But to just immediately establish it for anyone who doesn't know, that's a great way to go. Like, wow, who is this badass? Yeah, yeah. And again, we haven't, I mean, outside the Darksaber, we haven't seen a lightsaber in this show. So I wouldn't be shocked if hers is the first one that we see. And Moff Gideon actor Giancarlo Esposito teased during the offseason that his character has some epic duels this season. Everyone's like, ooh, with who? Yep. It's, yeah, so, okay. I think we're onto something here. I think so. All right. Do you have any uh, parting wisdom for our fans before we tie this up and get ready? for Final grade. Final grade on a scale of uh, one to ten. I would give it uh, eight lightsabers on one to ten lightsabers. Ooh, eight sabers. Uh, Okay. I will give it, and this is grading on a curve here, given the dearth of, you know, quality popcorn stuff we've had this year. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I think it definitely lived up to... Like, I enjoyed it. Um, It wasn't the premiere that I hoped it would be. But as you said, there is a long and awesome fight scene with a giant sandworm. Uh, We got all of, we we got what I think was one of the stronger character shows from Mando. Because, as I said, they really fleshed him out as becoming more of, like, a leader and a hero. And then we got all the classic Baby Yoda awe stuff. So... Overall, solid. Uh, I think the less that they do these one-offs, the better. But that said, solid start. Definitely room for improvement. We can definitely retroactively change our grades if the rest of the season goes a certain way and we reserve the right to do that. Yep, yep. But uh, yeah, for now, I I would say solid start. Understand your criticisms. Agree with them. I just thought it was fun. Fair enough. Same here, pretty much. Yeah. All right. So, guys, tune in next week where we'll be tackling. Actually, tune in every week because we're awesome. But tune in every week also because 
we are going to be tackling each and every episode to kind of get into the nitty gritty and uh, hopefully help you guys enjoy the show more as well. All right, brother. Okay, Sam. Make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.